0: This is Fluid Truth and I'm attorney Shirley Skyers thomas We explore a simple question of whether there is equity in the justice system. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. I'm pleased to introduce Teresa Neff-Webster as my guest today. Ms. Neff-Webster is currently the Deputy Chief of Operations for Boston Public Schools. With over two decades of experience in teaching and education administration, Teresa brings a really unique perspective and strong commitment to ensuring that students and staff have the resources and support in place to be successful. I appreciate that Ms. Neff Webster has chosen to share her story with us here at Fluid Truth. So, Teresa, thank you for joining me today. I want to introduce you to anyone who's listening and allow them to share in the enthusiasm of whatever your story will be. So this is my friend, Teresa Neff Webster, and she is the deputy chief of operations for the Boston public school system. So without further ado, my friend, Teresa F. Webster, tell me how have you been impacted by our legal system?
1: Thanks, Shirley. I'm really excited to be here. And, you know, when you sent me this prompt to, to consider, it really flummoxed me, actually, for a few days, because I I thought, oh, should I talk about my misspent youth? Should I talk about, like, young children who I've worked with, who have been affected um, by the, the legal system and laws in general? Or, you know, and and I just kept coming back that I didn't feel quite authentic to what I was dealing with right now in my own kind of reflections about laws. Um, And so I'm going to answer the question in a very amorphous way. Um, And I will preface this by saying I don't have an answer to my um, most current kind of reflection. So I started thinking about when it comes to laws, who's enforcing the law? And how are they enforcing the law? And in particular, in education spaces, who's enforcing the laws and how are they enforcing the laws? So school police in particular, right? What, how do school police impact the way students, families see laws? And so to to give context, right? In my role, safety services is a department that works under the division of operations. So I work closely with safety services now. In my previous life as a student, I had a very unique perspective on safety services and police, right? Um, Where I went to school and I will say this 100%, there are no um, 100% in the world, right? There's no, everyone's a bad or everyone's a good in my world. However, in my young experience as a teenager, school police, got girls pregnant, dealt drugs, uh, targeted populations, ensured that marginalized stayed marginalized and ruled with great relish where their authority allowed them to. So I had a very unique bias. I don't think it's unique. I think a lot of us have a bias against police because of our interactions as young people. So when I came into my current role in particular, having the events of 2020 unfold, having yet another black body be murdered and having the calls of Black Lives Matter and defunding the police being so so incredibly and appropriately vigorous. I knew coming into my role that one of the things that we would be working on would be changing what school police look like because I just knew I had 100% clarity on why having police officers and school police in high schools and middle schools is detrimental to the student population. And having stepped into this role very recently, I started you know, really learning the people who are doing the work Um, becoming very close with the chief of the school police who is new to her role. She's, I think, a 27-year veteran of the police department in Boston and has moved into the chief of school police, which is a separate division. And our superintendent has, has named that she wants to think through what it looks like, what safety services look like. And in doing that, I started to realize and and have conversations with the safety officers who see themselves very differently than public see them, how students see them, how staff see them. They see themselves as mentors, as coaches, as um, authority figures that students can relate to outside of their teachers or outside of a nurse or outside of an administrator. They see themselves as truly keeping a space safe and upholding the law, not enforcing the law, which are is something that I never, I, frankly, it didn't occur to me that their perception would be so very different. I always assumed there would be a bit of a God complex. I always assumed there would be this desire to enforce versus uphold. And so I'm in this very reflective space about laws when it comes to educational spaces, when it comes to safety of our students, when it comes to the privacy of our students, right? We have a lot of immigrant students who live in fear that they're gonna be reported to ICE. And they live in fear that the safety officers, the police officers are the ones reporting them. We have officers who live in fear for their safety. We have officers who have been dedicated for some 20, 30 years to their school community who feel betrayed by a public and a leadership that are saying, we're gonna defund you. We're gonna strip you of your authority whatever that word means, right? And I am at an impasse at where I had such strong, clear understanding of what was going, what was the right thing to do in order to make um, communities that were restorative in nature, communities that, that felt like the student population's voice was of utmost importance. And now I'm at a, a space where I, I'm very reflective. I, as I said, I don't have any answers, but I'm very, um, I'm very interested to just continue the conversation which is a little tricky because there's politics involved in the laws, right? And when you have a school police officer who says, I'm a safety service person, and my title is school police, right? And you have community members who know what the word police means for them. They're they're talking across each other once, most often I find that they're talking across each other and there's on both sides, fear, frustration, anger, mistrust and so, my query to myself and to like the educational space in general is, so how do we do this, right? How do we actually create spaces that the reality of 2020 is guns still exist, drugs still exist, weapons and gangs and horrific intent still exist. So there's a need for safe spaces to be created. There's bullying at a level unheard of because because of the cyberspace right so how do we create a space where students feel safe and our safety services feel valued and appreciated as a part of the school community versus an enforcer so that is a long-winded Answer, I know. Um, but it's when you really prompted me, like that's what I've been thinking about when it comes to law. Like, how do we move forward in a way that feels that every life in a school, and I'm specifically just thinking of the school buildings, feel like they're in a good in a good place. So that's my answer to your
0: question. No, that that's great because in okay. Interestingly enough, T, I feel like that's just the beginning. I know it's a bigger, larger conversation, but the way that you just set out this frame and I have insight into your life that, you know, that's outside of this conversation, but growing up in Illinois, was it a little different than now, 2020, 2021, being in Boston being in mass. So the way that you framed it, I'm just seeing these pictures in year in the 80s and the 90s this <laughs> this whole um, this visual was coming through. And as you're speaking now, perhaps I know the visual because, you know, we're so um, we're broadly cast. So we we know from social media, we know from news, we know about a lot that's going on in the world, so we get a chance to see these little pockets. But Now, I want to just ask you if you can readdress, what were some of those instances that, again, I see visuals in my head, but I wasn't there. So what are some of those instances that you can make note of? What can you kind of um, draw my attention to when you were observing the safety officers as a student? And do you have any instances that you can draw my attention to that you observe now that might be a little contrast to mm-hmm. as, as an employer in this instance?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think like the caveat being I'm old, right. And it was like <laughs> in the early eighties when I was in high school. And, um, there was a lot of, a very strong and prevalent gang violence in Chicago, which unfortunately is still the, the, the uh, story today, but it was very prevalent in the high school's in particular, um, and you know the um, metal detectors were always a thing. It never, as a student, you it just never occurred to you that you it wasn't there wasn't going to be any. Um, and I think, in particular, I have referenced it very quickly, but there was a known safety. I don't even know what they were called. I'm going to call them safety officers. That might be the wrong word they were called back then, but it was known that he sold drugs. And it was known that if you went to, you know, a certain side of the building at a certain time of day, he had whatever you needed to get, right? And would, you know, also get you in and out of the building if you needed to get into the building when, at times when you weren't supposed to, right? Um, there was a different person who very clearly targeted LGBTQ children. Um, for slurs, and I can't prove this because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't in every section, but it was assumed that they supported in setting up scenarios where people would get beat down. They would put them in a certain place in the buildings and then gangs would attack them. Um, and it was dependent on what, what uh, grade you were in, whether you had, cause they were they were assigned to buildings. So freshmen, sophomore buildings, junior, senior buildings. Um, and it's just, so there was, you just knew that they were out to, <laughs> to like they weren't there to, to support you. They were out to get you essentially. And you just kept your head down and kept quiet as quickly as you can and got away from them. Um, and not all of them, again, not all of them, but those were like two specific instances that, that really rang true to your question. And then, and then to, to juxtapose that, there's during the pandemic, right? So very unique times, obviously. There was an officer during, in December who single-handedly um, ran a toy drive collected toys, thousands and thousands of toys and distributed them to variety of different um, nonprofit organizations because it was the right thing to do. And another officer who actively mentors at the Boys and Girls Club in his neighborhood where he lives, which is the same neighborhood of his school, right? So that's a very specific instance. And I want to make sure that I'm clear, this is not necessarily the instance of all of the school police, but having someone live in the neighborhood where their school is, where they work and they know the students, it's, it's, it's critical. And, and that relationship, that's, that's an uncle and aunt relationship with the students who go to that school. It's not just a safety officer, right? Um, and I also wanna be very clear, Boston is very different in terms of its racial makeup and its and its history of uh, racial exchanges and this particular mayor who's about to become the Secretary of Labor but also this particular superintendent who is a woman of color have dedicated that they want that narrative to change and they want that community to uh, interaction to change um, and it's an interesting being someone who's quote-unquote new to, to Boston, this is I think my third year here, from an outside perspective to see the um, people trying to really actively create that community. And my boss, who's the chief of operations, Sam DePina, is born and raised in Boston. He's Gaboverian. And he, he is a linchpin. Like, he is one of those people who is supporting in the change management of this Kind of conversation around um, race relations in general, but also specifically around like how does this the school police school safety officers interact with our students? Does that answer your
0: question? It does. And what's interesting to me is now you created this, uh, you know, you ex- expanded the visual for me, and I appreciate that because now well, we get a chance to perhaps step into this crossroads and i'm interested in how you are right now so you have this history that you've been able to kind of bring to the forefront just a moment ago and shared and now you have this present that you're trying to move forward for the best but how much is that impacted by what you thought how much is how much is your decision making impacted by your history impacted by those that you know, maybe do not leave a good taste in your mouth in terms of what an officer was in the school system. Mm. So how much is that impacted by the decisions that you're trying to make now? I am hopeful that it's not
1: very impactful. And the reason I say that is, as you very well know, my friend Shirley, I have been doing a lot of work through the years on reflecting on bias, right, and making sure that I'm always naming my own bias first, so that I make sure I don't get in my own way, whether it be white on white bias, as we very well know I have, and uh, or this particular bias. And so I, I'm very conscious of it, right? And very aware of naming for myself when I think things and, and checking that. And I'm, I, I consider myself lucky to be working in uh, an environment with, in particular, my, my boss, we are of similar age. So we have similar references that we can name for each other and we can check each other's bias. And we can also check um, when we hear something, seek to understand versus assume. So like that seek to understand is I constantly in my head to ensure that I'm really understanding it versus assuming I get what's going on. So I hope my previous experiences are not a hundred percent in inserting themselves into my thought processes i think we can't help as human beings but be affected by our pasts it's how we choose to be affected is is my my stance on it right um and so i also want to just name like thank goodness is not just me thank goodness there's like uh, there's people above me and people next to me who are like in concert having this conversation because where I do think we have issues, not just in Boston public schools, but in school districts, right? Is when it's like a, a top down decision and there isn't conversation and there isn't buy-in. And I think that's when things kind of just get real muddy. Um, and I, I feel blessed that we have, again, a superintendent and a COO who are working hand in hand with the community and with the chief of uh, school police and with the mayor to kind of just ensure that we are thinking through the right things and and engaging with students, engaging with community partners, engaging with the safety services officers themselves, engaging in data, right? And and making sure that we are grounded in observation versus subjectivity. I sound like a politician, but you know what I mean.
0: I do, and I think you have to explain it in the way that is most germane to your position because um, as you guys move forward and make these decisions, we all bring our own perspective, which is also why I wanted to talk to you because we bring a variety of experiences, but our perspectives are sometimes shaped by what we've gone through and you know, our upbringing and the area of the country that we're in the years. So our perspectives can be so um either narrowly or widely applied so I was really interested to hear yours so yes you do sound like a politician and I love it and (laughs) I love it but um that really does kind of speak to the fluidity of these types of conversations and why it's so important that you know many accounts be told and many perspectives be shared. So, I thank you for yours, Miss Neff Webster. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Miss Carol Skyers. Sky. <laughs> 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 well, thanks for listening in today. Special thanks to our producer Michael Bachman and executive producer David DeRoche. Music is provided by Audio Hero from their Jazz Lounge album. To hear more about our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to all of our podcasts on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at QUPodcasts. If you have a story to share or something you want to talk about, find us on social media or shoot us an email. The address is qupodcast at qu.edu. On the next show, I'll be sitting down with Mr. Earl Bloodworth. Director for Reentry, overseeing the Mayor's Initiative for Re-entry Affairs for the City of Bridgeport. Alright, that's it for now. Till next time.